So mammon means money, in case you're wondering about that one. What? I didn't ever thought I'd serve mammon. Um, so speaking of money, though, uh, I don't know. Have you guys come across like the national debt lately? Sorry, I just said the four-letter word, um, debt. We'll get to that in a second. Um, I mean, the national debt, like they, they put this thing on the side of, you know, buildings in New York City. Um, it's up to $22.5 trillion. And this, that's ridiculous. I actually, there's, a, there's like a, an alternate website that says we've really totaled the real cost. And I think they estimated at $112 trillion. But what's a $100 trillion or so? Um, 22, can, you, can you just imagine this? $22.5 trillion. I think it's one of the times, I don't know, if you, ever, if you ever think about the national debt, it's one of those things where you're just like, I'm glad I don't have to figure that out. Or like, I think a lot of times we just kind of push it off to the side because it's just like, that's so huge that we might even think like there is no way it's ever going to get paid. In fact, I don't even, sometimes we even just jump to the idea that like, if we just don't think about it, at some point China's going to be like, don't worry about it. Like you can just keep your whatever, whatever you owe us because it's just, it's so far away from us, right? It's not a like, part of our daily lives. If you want to, you can just not think about it and it probably won't affect uh, us anytime soon. But did you know that the average college student loan debt like, there I said it. Sorry, I just crossed the line. Um, $38,000. That's the average student loan debt in America is $38,000. It's a little more personal when it comes to that. This morning we had a bunch of families as well, which is just, just as bad because people can be like, oh, you're out of college, you have no debt. The average family household debt in America is $134,000. That's what the average family owes. That's the average. That includes you know mortgage, includes auto loan, a credit card loan, um, school debt, 134,000 is the average debt. Now, when it comes to like the national debt, again, it's one of those things I don't necessarily have to think about. Um, that's not my job, not my prop. I'm like, I don't have to figure this out. But when it comes to my own personal debt, it's like, gulp, <laughs> shoot. Because <laughs> as long as it's out there, I can be kind of indifferent. But when all of a sudden when it's like, okay, it's in here, it's, it's not just yours, it's mine. Then all of a sudden, like it, it can be, I mean, yes or no, it can be really easy to get discouraged. Like, it can get really easy, actually, even to feel kind of hopeless. Like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I'm, I'm an acting major. <laughs> I will never be able to pay that off. Like, that kind of, sorry, you guys, that was supposed to be funnier. In my head, it was funnier. <laughs> Fine, you're like all acting majors. Like, what are you telling me? <laughs> but, it's, but it's like, it's really easy to get, feel hopeless in that moment. Like, again, the, the national debt, that's hopeless. I don't, I don't feel it. But when it comes to my debt, it's just like, that's more than I can pay. That's what I owe is more than I can give. Unless, unless I have some rich uncle somewhere like, that just comes out of nowhere and says, by the way, here's 40000 2000 extra for you to play around with. Like, <laughs> I have such a debt that I, such what I owe that I cannot pay. It is so easy. Just feel so stuck. I don't know if you've ever felt like hopeless. Like hopeless in the face of I'm supposed to do this thing. I can't do this thing. Hopeless in the face of, here's what I owe, and I, I actually don't have a way to pay back what I owe. That here's what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. I'm just hopeless. You know, um, we just began this series last week. Uh, the series is called, Are You Saved? We're just looking at what it is to be saved. Because, because, you know, when it comes to Catholics, we don't always talk about it in terms of, like, are you saved? We definitely pray about We pray like that. And we know that the scripture says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That the name Jesus, we talked about this last week, the name Jesus himself means God saves. So, like, we're all about 
Salvation, we're all about the fact that we need to be saved, but a lot of times we have a big question that comes back and says, okay, I need to be saved from what? Because I think a lot of times we don't feel like the need to be saved. We're kind of like, I'm doing fine. But last week we talked about this reality that so many of us are walking through this world like orphans. So many of us are walking through this world like with, without God who is our dad. And so last week we re- it was revealed to us that, or shown to us that uh, one of the thir- first things, and one of the ultimate things that Jesus saves us from, he saves us from fatherlessness. But he also saves us from hopelessness. And he has to. You know, Gabriel, when he, the angel, when he appeared to Joseph, he said, you'll name him Jesus specifically because he will save his people from their sins. And this is the reality for every one of us. Like sin in the Bible, sin equals debt. It's like, so if I have sin, it's like I, I owe something now. And the problem is, when I have this sin, it's like it's a debt I can't pay. It's I owe something more than I can pay back. And again, when it's other people's sin, I mentioned this last week, where it comes like I know for a long time growing up, I was like, okay, I know the commandments. I can name, I can name them. Went to Catholic school, went to, went to Sunday mass. Like I can name the, the commandments. But at one point, what was out there, the sin out there, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, that is sin that I have it in my own heart. That's something that's in here. And it was one of those things that went from like I can be indifferent to this to oh my gosh, I owe a debt that I can't pay. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point yet, and if you haven't, then this might be a little boring series. But if you have, and you know that, that sense of like, okay, I actually do have this, and I do have this debt. I have something that I owe that actually, I know this. I have absolutely no way of paying back. And if there's anything that a debt does, is it brings us a sense of hopelessness. Because this is something I can't deal with. Now, of course, this little caveat, debts are nothing new. Like, that's not like a new thing to the 20th or 21st century. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about debts. In fact, in biblical times, if you were Jewish and you got yourself into debt, it was your responsibility. The book of Leviticus talks about this very clearly. If you, it was your responsibility to get yourself out of debt, to pay off your debt. But here's the problem. If you couldn't pay off your debt, you'd have to sell your stuff. And there was like kind of no time to waste. You had to, like, as soon as you could, sell your stuff. In fact, you, sometimes your debt was so huge that you had to sell your ancestral home. Now, for us to be like, wow, that's terrible, that's awful. But for them, it's a thousand times worse. Because think about this. When the Jews were brought to the promised land, God gave them this land. And this is, this is your ancestral land. It's not just your house. This was your father's house and your grandfather's house. It goes all the way back to when Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. And you have to sell it now. That you're erasing your family's history. But there were times, in order to pay your debt, but there were times when that still wasn't even enough. And when you couldn't sell your stuff and pay off your debt, you couldn't even sell your home and pay off your debt, you had to, or you had the opportunity, opportunity to sell yourself into slavery. Sometimes you'd even actually sell your spouse and your children as well as yourself into slavery. Not because, again, the, the Jews saw that as an evil, but they thought it was a necessary evil. Why? Because someone has to pay the debt. Like, if someone gave you the money, you need to give it back to them. Again, it's not perfect, but it was their only option. Like, it was the only way out. It was the only way around it, except for one other way. It was either, think about this, you're in such, such debt, hopelessness, that either you sell yourself and everyone you love into slavery, or you had family. The only, only hope you had was family. 
because in ancient Israel, if you entered a covenant with someone, like you became family with them. So, so if you married someone, now you're part of their family and they're part of your family. You had two families come together, make a covenant with each other. Now that's one, one family. If you had tribes come together and made a covenant with each other, now they're not just one tribe. They're one, they actually became family. And there's a Jewish scholar, his name's John Levinson. He talks about this. He says, when the primary duty of family that's come out of covenant was to love each other, but not just kind of like, oh, we love you, come over for Thanksgiving and we'll give you presents at Christmas, because they didn't have Christmas then. It wasn't just that. <laughs> it was, they had a solemn duty to have a firm and unwavering commitment to remain faithful and loyal. And here's what it means practically. If you were indebted so much that you could not pay, so that you were hopeless, a family member could be your redeemer. Like a family member could buy you back. But it had to be a family member. It's, it's what they call in the Bible, your kinsman redeemer. It was your brother or your uncle or your cousin or someone would show up and they'd say, listen, to save them from slavery, to pay a debt that they cannot pay, I will buy them back. I will ransom them. In the depths of hopelessness, your family member could step in and give you your life back. In, the, in St. Paul's letter this morning, this afternoon, tonight, what time is it? St. Paul's letter today, he says that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for all. What he's saying is that Jesus is your kinsman redeemer. That here we are finding ourselves stuck in hopelessness. I, I, have a, I owe a debt I cannot pay. He says Jesus gave himself as a ransom. You know, think about this. The, the, whole, the whole reason behind the incarnation, big fancy word for God becoming one of us, the whole, the whole reason why God became a human being is so that you, can, you and I could be his brothers and sisters. Like, that's the whole reason. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did God become one of us? Is so he could be our brother and so he could redeem us. Why? Because you needed to be related. You needed to be family in order to redeem someone, to, to buy them back, to ransom them. And so here's what God does. In fact, it even says in the letter to the Hebrews, it says, to redeem us. He became like us, a brother in all things. That God, Jesus, took to himself what was ours so he could give us what was his. That Jesus took from us our humanity so he could give us his divinity. That Jesus took from us our weakness so he could give us his strength. That Jesus took from us our brokenness so he could give us his wholeness. Jesus took from us our debt so he could give us his mercy. Jesus took from us our lowliness so he could make us like him. Remember, we talked about this whole thing. The whole heart of salvation is what? Salvation is being saved from being unchristlike. Salvation is being saved from walking through this world, not just owing a debt, but walking through this world and not looking like God, not living like God, not loving like God. Now, okay, pause. I imagine at this point, some people, I can hear some people here thinking like, okay, let's go back to the whole thing at the beginning, like the debt thing, Father. Um, this isn't fair. I can hear a bunch of people like, you know, have that, have that counter, right, to the whole thing, saying like, the whole show isn't fair. Like, I didn't break the world. I didn't bring sin into the world. I didn't eat the apple. I wasn't, I'm not that old. Like, I didn't create sin. In fact, I know a lot of people say things like, I didn't choose to be born in a broken world. I didn't choose to be born into debt. And like, I, I get that. Like, I completely understand. And I, I agree. 
You're right. It isn't fair. You didn't deserve it. You and I um, didn't deserve, don't deserve to be born into a broken world. It isn't fair. Evil isn't fair. Suffering and death aren't fair. And you didn't deserve, it's true, to be born into a broken world. But here's something else that's true. This is of first importance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. What does St. Paul say today? He says, God wills everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is also one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So yes, you and I did not deserve to be born into this brokenness, but you and I also didn't deserve to be ransomed like this either. That it isn't fair that we owe a debt that we can't pay. But it also isn't fair that he paid a debt he did not owe. Yes, it isn't fair that you and I, we wake up every morning with all these pains in our hearts, but also it wasn't fair that God, who's completely innocent, took upon every single one of our brokenness, every single one of our pains, every single one of our sufferings into his own heart on purpose. See, it's not fair that it's broken, but it's also not fair that you've been made whole either. Because it's just a gift. The whole thing's just a gift. Salvation, the whole, the, everything, are you saying, it's just a gift. It's undeserved, it's unmerited, it's, it's unearned, it's just given. In fact, actually, that's what the word grace means. You know, when Paul uses it in the New Testament, when he uses the word grace, it's not a theological term, it just actually means the word present, like it means the word gift. That it was, you know, you didn't, I didn't work for it, like it's not payment. It's something that, you know, we all know this. No one ever deserves a gift. You're just given a gift. And no one ever works for a gift. You just receive the gift. And the truth of the matter is, how are we saved? We're saved by a gift, complete gift, just grace. So one of the questions we need, we, people ask, you know, are you saved as Catholics? Because a lot of times people misunderstand how Catholics believe that we're saved. Sometimes people think, well, you, we think you, you Catholics think you work for your salvation. And it's not actually the case. Here's what we believe how salvation works. We believe that we are saved by grace, through faith, working itself out in love. That's what we believe about salvation. We are saved by grace, complete gift of God, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, completely by grace, through faith. That's our response to grace, which is just a yes to God. It's, a, it's an obedience to God, working itself out in love, because that's the whole core of the whole thing. The whole, the whole heart of everything comes down to love. And now again, when I say love, it's like, okay, yes, everything comes down to love. Like, okay, hoaxer, like, just like, Sappy, right? This kind of idea that at the heart of everything is love. It sounds sappy. It's not because what happens when you walk into any Catholic church? What's the centerpiece of any Catholic church? It's the crucifix. Now, I know sometimes when people look at the crucifix, what they see is they see the pain. They see the suffering. They see sometimes, here's what, sometimes, here's what some people see when they look at the crucifix. Sometimes people see God the Father pouring out his anger upon the Son, like as if this was the story. As if the story is, we're in such debt, we're so broken, that God's like, listen, someone's got to pay. Who? And the son's like, I guess I'll go. And the father says, okay, go. And then at the first chance the father gets, he's like, let me pour out all my wrath. <sighs> kind of thing. Like, and then when you look at the crucifix, what you're looking at is the father just like pouring out his lava of anger on the son so you and I can live. Actually, there are some Christians who believe that. 
There's some Christians who believe that when you look at the crucifix, what you're seeing is a father pouring out his anger and wrath and judgment upon Jesus. That is not what we believe. Because the heart is what? The heart is not suffering. The heart of the crucifix is love. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, if the heart of the suffering or the heart of the crucifixion was suffering, evil is finite. Like evil has a limit to it. Suffering has a limit to it. But Jesus' love is infinite. And if it was just about how much he suffered, then there is a time where maybe it could run out. But it's not about how much he suffered. When we look at the crucifix, this is about how much he loved. So here's the image. It's not the Father pouring out his wrath on Jesus. It is the Son pouring out his love to the Father. And that's infinite. We are saved by grace through faith, working itself out in love. Because the ransom, the payment of the debt, that's just the beginning. Like the whole point is not just to get ransom. The whole point is to what comes after that. The whole point is not just to have your debt cleared. The whole point is what comes after that. I mean, think about this. If you're in debt and someone says, hey, you should start investing. You're like, I can't invest. I got the debt. Say, you really should start saving up for later on. Like, I will have to save, save up for later on. I can't because I have to pay off the debt. Someone says, you know what? You should really think about planning. Plan that dream vacation. Like, listen, buddy, I don't have any money. I'm in debt. I can't think about anything past the debt because I'm just stuck. And whenever I think about that being stuck, that hopelessness, I can't think about anything after that. I think about a man, his name was Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish man. Um, he, was, he was a Franciscan priest in Poland. And at one point he was taken into a concentration camp in Auschwitz because he was a priest. And actually Auschwitz had a whole section that they had for priests where they kept them and tortured them and abused them at one point. You know, and actually Maximilian Kolbe is really interesting. When you hear about his life, it's like all you think about is, I, all I used to think about his life was the end of his life, when he gave his life. But actually he was a really important guy. Like, in fact, if you would have known, lived in that era, like Maximilian Kolbe, he uh, founded a bunch of different magazines. He founded uh, opportunities to like reach out and evangelize people. He was a missionary to Japan. He was just incredible like go-getter. He led all of these people, like thousands of people throughout Europe. He was really influential. He was a very important person. And at one point he gets to the prison camp, Auschwitz. And one night this man escaped from Auschwitz. So the next day they rounded up all the prisoners and they said they're going to randomly select 10 people who will die because this man escaped. And when they called the 10th person forward, his name was Francis. He was a, another Polish man called, named Francis. He fell to his knees and he just begged for mercy. And he said, please do not kill me. I have a wife. I have children. Please let me live. And that's Maximilian Kolbe, who was a very important person, right? He had a lot going for him. He was very influential. People needed him. He stepped forward and he said, let me, please let me die for this man. And the guard said, wait, 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 why would you want to do that? His answer was very simple. He said, because I'm a Catholic priest. Why would you want to die for this person? Because I'm a Catholic priest. And just think about the risk that he took right there in that moment. You're in a concentration camp where they kill anybody. They could have easily said, well, have 11. Doesn't matter. 10, 11, doesn't matter. You join the line. He could have just thrown that away. But what happened was they said, okay, Francis, you go back to the group. And Maximilian, you go into the starvation bunker. He was in a starvation bunker for, I think, 15 days. He finally wasn't dead after 15 days, so they, they uh, filled the syringe with carbolic acid and then put it, injected it into his heart, and he died. But Francis lived. 
This is the most amazing part. Francis, he, he was at that moment hopeless. All of a sudden, that debt, he was freed. And he didn't have to die. But the point wasn't just to be freed. The point was to live after that. He went on to live for over 50 years. He didn't die until, in, until 1995. And his friends and family said that um, as long as Francis, as long as our dad, as long as our grandfather, Francis, had breath in his lungs, he believed it was his duty to tell as many people as possible about what Father Maximilian did for him. See, the story doesn't end when the debt gets paid. The story just starts when the debt gets paid. Here's the reality. Here's the last thing. Here we are. We're in the place where the debt, get, where the debt gets paid off. We're in the place where, like, I walked in hopeless. I walked in owing so much. I owed a debt I could not pay. But then you get to this place and realize, oh, my gosh, but in Jesus, he paid that debt that he did not owe, and it's been paid off. So what comes next? And that's the question. What are you going to do now that your debt has been paid? You don't have to worry about the debt anymore. What are you going to do now that you're free from that weight over your shoulders? What do you get to do now? It doesn't like, what are you going to do for him, suckers? Like, that's not it. That's not like punks. What? It's not. It's just, wow, now that you're free, now that you have power, now that you have that grace, the gift of God inside of you, What's next? Where are you going to pour yourself out like he poured himself out? Where are you going to give your heart like he gave his heart? You can have the opportunity to move from hopelessness to living a debt-free life. What is the first thing? What is the next thing that you're going to do with it?